If you're visiting us this morning for the first time or you've been coming for a little while and you're still getting to know us, there's some things that you should know about us that we take very seriously here at Ashland Church. We take preaching the gospel and following Jesus very seriously. We take missions very seriously. And if you couldn't tell after this past week, we take VBS very seriously around here. But this past spring, I also learned something else that we take really seriously. Church League softball. You see, if you weren't there this past spring to watch our Church League softball team bring home another championship title, you really missed out because it was a lot of fun. So much fun, in fact, that my two-year-old son, Charlie, he was in tears one night when he found out that one of the games had gotten rained out and we weren't going to be able to go. And so my family, we really enjoyed the fun, the fellowship time, but I was there for another reason. You see, the longer you stay around here, the more you'll realize that Pastor Jeremy, our pastor, he spends a lot of time talking about glory, the glory of Christ, God's glory amongst all the nations, and of course, the glory of baseball. This time of year, he's always talking about the glory of the game. Now, one of those things is not like the other. I hope you can sort that out. But I decided that I was going to go spend my Friday nights at the Lake Reba softball fields to try to catch a glimpse of this glory that he talks so much about. And let me tell you, I didn't see much glory. But what I did see was several people trying to relive their glory days. And you all know the ones I'm talking about. Now, they weren't on our team, of course, but anytime you get a group of middle-aged men together, I'm sure you've noticed that uh, there's always those guys who come that are way past their prime that are still trying to act like they've still got it. And it's not just men. Women, some women do this too. Some ladies, they don't uh, look back on the glory days of when they could throw a ball across the field, but when they could turn heads across the room. And it's not just ladies, it's not just men, it's not just people, it's places too. I was reminded of that while we were down in New Orleans this summer on our summer mission trip, that there are buildings and even entire neighborhoods that look nothing like they did back in their glory days. And by the time of the prophet Haggai, the glory days of the Jews in Jerusalem were long gone. Long gone were the glory days when King David ruled over a vast kingdom that stretched from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to modern-day Iraq. Long gone were the days when King Solomon had built this magnificent temple and filled it with gold. Now, by the time of the prophet Haggai, those glory days were long in the rearview mirror. Now, the Jews were nothing more than one little part of one little province in the mighty Persian Empire. Needless to say, they were distressed and depressed. And even though they'd been back in their homeland for 17 years, they still hadn't rebuilt their temple. So God disciplined his people for their disobedience, for their misplaced priorities. He sent a drought on the land and a prophet to the people to rebuke them and to encourage them. That prophet's name was Haggai. And in Haggai's first two messages, he challenged the people to repent and to rebuild, rebuild the temple. He challenged them and the people got to work. And one month later, God sent Haggai back to them to deliver a new message. That's the message that we read here in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. God's message to his people then is the same message to God's people today. 
His message is this. Write this down. Don't give up because the best is yet to come. Look with me beginning in verse 1. God's word says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. That date was important because it was the last, the next to last day of the annual Feast of Booths, which would have been one of the biggest holiday celebrations of the year, where the Jews would have spent the week camping outside to remember God's protection and provision of their ancestors during the 40 years they spent wandering in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. And it was also during that exact same month, during that exact same festival, that 440 years prior, King Solomon had finished and dedicated the original temple. So all week long, the grandpas and grandmas would have been telling stories to their grandkids about the glory days of when they were little and went to King Solomon's temple to worship God. Look at how the text continues in verse 2. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. These were the leaders, the leaders responsible for the temple construction and for the temple worship. Zerubbabel's name, this is interesting, his name means seed of Babylon, which was probably a reference to his birthplace. Now, you know that the glory days of the Jews are long gone when their leader wasn't born in Jerusalem wasn't even born in a stable in Bethlehem. He was born in the capital city of their evil enemies. God continues, he says, speak to all the remnant of the people. Whereas in their glory days, they were as numerous as the stars in the night sky or the sand on the seashore. Now all that's left is a tiny, weak little remnant. God begins his message in verse 3 with three rhetorical questions. Look at what he says. He says, he asked, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? The fact that God asked this question implies that there must have been at least some people who were alive at that point who had still seen the temple standing before it had been destroyed 60 years earlier by the Babylonians. Only the ones with faces full of wrinkles and heads full of gray hairs would have been old enough to have seen the temple back in its glory days. All week long, they've been dwelling in tents and dwelling on their past. And God asked them to compare the past temple to the present one that they're rebuilding. And he says, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? We know what they thought about it because Ezra, the priest, he tells us that when the foundation of the new temple was laid, that many of the old people, that they wept. And these weren't happy tears. Because they could, re- they understood that right from the start, what they saw before them was never going to compare to the glory of King Solomon's temple. And God knew that. God knows that his people look at that pathetic little pile of rocks they're trying to build into a temple and that they're disappointed, that they're discouraged. He knows they've spent all week looking back on their glory days and that they're ready to just give up and throw in the towel. But God refuses to let them just have a pity party. Look at what he says. He speaks directly to them in verse 4 and says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. In this message, this is the only command that God repeats 
three times. And God's not telling them to hit the weight room. He's telling them to be strong for the work of rebuilding the temple. He's, he knows they're tempted to quit. And so that's why he sends Haggai to them to command them. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep building the temple. He's telling them to keep doing the work that he has commanded them to do. And that's the same thing that God says to us today. No matter our circumstances, God's word is clear that we cannot give up doing the work that he has commanded us to do. And in our day, God has not commanded us to build a temple of stones in one nation, but to build a temple of living stones from all nations. That's how the Apostle Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says that Christians are like living stones and that the church is like the spiritual temple of God. Every time Jesus saves someone, another stone is being added to the temple, the church, that God is building. That means God's message to Haggai still applies to us today. We cannot give up the work of building the new temple of living stones from all nations. We cannot give up the work of the Great Commission. Whether it's been a great hard week of ministry, sharing the gospel with hundreds of kids at VBS, or whether it's been a miserable hard week of trying to share the gospel with your coworkers, God's word is the same. Don't give up. Listen, some of you are discouraged in the work of sharing the gospel and making disciples because you're discouraged because you're thinking so much and stuck on the past of the glory days. For some of you, it might be the glory days of when you were in college and or when you were in high school. And you remember you were around so many unbelievers all the time and you got so many different opportunities to share about Christ. And now you've graduated and you're in a job where you might get reprimanded or even fired for sharing your faith. Some of you are disappointed because you remember the glory days in the past when we could go door to door or have tent revivals. And it wasn't just a handful of people who responded to the preaching of the gospel. It was hundreds of people who responded. Maybe you're a parent with little kids and you remember the glory days in the past when you could have deep heart level, adult level conversations with new believers or unbelievers about Jesus. And now you're so tired. Your brain is so frazzled at the end of the day. You barely have enough energy to read a story from the Jesus storybook Bible before bedtime. There are all kinds of different ways that we can be tempted to be discouraged in the work of the Great Commission, in the work of sharing the gospel, making disciples and be tempted to give up. But God's word is the same to us today as it was to the Jews back then. His word is the same. Don't give up. Be strong. Work. Do the work God's given us to do. That was the message God sent Haggai to deliver. But that wasn't the whole message. God doesn't just command them to keep going. He encourages them to keep going. Look with me at the end of verse 4 and end of verse 5. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. God's encouragement comes first in the form of God's presence. God made this same promise to them a month ago in Haggai chapter 1 verse 13. But this promise goes way back. All the way back to the exodus from Egypt when God rescued them from slavery. 
All week long, they've been reflecting on God's protection and provision of their ancestors in the wilderness. But even before they began their wilderness journey, God made this promise to them at Mount Sinai in Exodus 29, 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. God reiterates that promise in Haggai 2, verse 5. He says, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. God began by drawing their attention to what they could see with their eyes, to their pathetic temple. But now he draws their attention to what they cannot see, his powerful presence. Notice, God never said, be strong, work, don't give up, because I know you can do it. I believe in you. No, God knew that they couldn't do it. God knew that. They are weak, but he is strong. That's why he starts emphasizing his title, the Lord of hosts. In the rest of this message, God God starts making a whole bunch of promises. And he ends and begins them with, thus says or thus declares the Lord of hosts. Why? Why does he do that? Because when someone is making a promise, it really matters who's doing the promising. If a little boy gets up with a paper crown on his head and a styrofoam sword in his hand and says, I'm going to be king of the world, nobody's intimidated. But... When the Lord of hosts, a title, which means the commander of the armies of heaven, when he makes a promise, you know that he has the power and authority to back up what he's saying. Not only is God by himself all powerful and almighty, but God commands an army of angel warriors The entire army of angel soldiers are at his beck and call. And remember, in 2 Kings 19, all it took was one angel, one night to wipe out what at that time was the most powerful army in the world. It took one angel one night to wipe out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And God, the Lord of hosts, commands legions. Literally tens of thousands of angel warriors. So why would you ever be afraid if he is the one who's with you? It doesn't matter how weak his people are because God is all powerful and he commands an unstoppable army of angel warriors that cannot be defeated. And that same promise that God made to his people back then is the exact same promise that God makes to you and me today. The same promise he made to them in the work of rebuilding the temple, he makes to us in the Great Commission. What did Jesus say before he said, go and make disciples of all nations? What did he say? In Matthew 28, 18, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean? That means Jesus is the Lord of hosts. That means Jesus is the commander of the angel armies. He is the one who rules over all and is all powerful. And and what does he say at the end of the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, and behold... 
I am with you always until the end of the age. Jesus is with us. So don't give up. We are weak, but he is strong. The commander of heaven's armies will be with you. He was with you in your glory days. He's with you today. He'll be with you forever. The commander of heaven's armies will be with you when you go and share the gospel with your lost co-worker or with your lost loved one. The commander of heaven's armies is with you when you have no energy left at the end of the day to barely pray a prayer with your kids before bedtime. The commander of heaven's armies will be with you when you go to the local mosque to talk to the Muslims about Jesus. And yes, the commander of heaven's armies will be with you when you sell all your belongings and move your family overseas to an unreached people group to plant a church and preach the gospel. God's promise hasn't changed. God said it to his people then and he says it to his people today. Don't give up. Because I am with you. And as if that wasn't enough, God gives us even more encouragement in these final verses. Look at me beginning in verse 6 and 7. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations. Just like God shook the earth with his voice and his presence at Mount Sinai, now God is going to shake all of creation and all of the nations. Verse 7. So that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This word translated shake can be used to refer to the ground during an earthquake or to people trembling with fear. God says to his people to fear not because he is going to make all the nations fear him. And when they fear him, they will come to his temple. Did you see that? Bringing their treasures for his glory. Now, God isn't robbing the nations. As he says in verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Everything belongs to him. That means that when we tithe, We're not giving God 10% of our money. God is letting us keep 90% of his money. King David recognized this even before one stone was laid for the building of the original temple. In 1 Chronicles 29, 16, he says, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. And is all your own. So when the nations come bringing their greatest treasures to the temple for the sake of God's glory, all they're doing is bringing back to God what's his to begin with. God's people might not have had the resources to make the temple great again, but they should not be discouraged or give up because soon God will fill this temple with so much glory that he can promise in verse 9, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. This is an absolutely shocking promise. God speaks to this pathetic, weak little remnant of people who have absolutely no resources, who have a temple that looks more like a sandcastle. And he says to them, this temple that you are building 
will someday be even greater than King Solomon's temple in its glory days. Listen, King Solomon's temple in its glory days, if you could have been there and walked in, you would have walked in through two massive golden doors into a room that was three stories high, completely filled with gold. Everywhere you looked, there was gold. The ceiling was gold. The floor was gold. The walls were gold. They were covered with golden carvings of angels and flowers. There was a golden table, a golden altar, ten golden lampstands. And then in the Holy of Holies, there were two gigantic statues of angels, completely made of gold, 15 feet high, 15 foot wingspans. And right in the middle was the golden Ark of the Covenant. I mean, it would have absolutely taken your breath away. And God looks at these weak little people with their sandcastle of a temple and says, just you wait. Don't give up because the best is yet to come. And you know what? It came. Just as God promised. The nations brought their treasures in the latter glory of that temple was greater than King Solomon's former temple. Sixty years later, the new king of Persia, he sent another group, another remnant of Jewish exiles back to their homeland with Ezra the priest. And get this, with them, he sent almost four tons of gold and almost 25 tons of silver. And hundreds of years later, King Herod, he used the treasures of the Roman Empire to do a massive expansion of the temple. And so the temple then was no longer a mere three stories high, but by the time of Christ, it was 20 stories high. That's four stories taller than Keen Hall over at EKU. And it wasn't just one building anymore. It was a whole temple complex with ornate buildings and colonnades. Even the disciples of Jesus were in awe of that temple. One of them said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. But do you remember how Jesus responded? In Mark 13, too, he said, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down and he was right 40 years later the romans completely destroyed the temple and hauled off all of its treasures to rome so what happened didn't god say that the latter glory that the latter temple would be greater than the former didn't he say that the best was yet to come yes he did and even though herod's temple was greater than king solomon's Ultimately, that was not how God fulfilled this promise. Because the greater temple was not made of wood or stone. It was not made of silver or gold. It was made of flesh and blood. After he chased all the money changers and all the sellers out of the temple, what did Jesus say? He said, destroy this temple... And in three days, I will build it up again. The Jews couldn't believe it. They said, what kind of nonsense is he talking about? It took years to build this temple. He was talking about the temple of his body. 
the greatest temple, the most glorious temple, which was torn down on the cross to pay the penalty for all our sins and all our disobedience. He suffered the punishment we deserve in our place. His body was torn down from that cross, thrown into a hole, thrown to the, an empty tomb. And three days later, from a foundation in the empty tomb, he rebuilt the temple of his body. He was raised to life for our salvation, thus fulfilling the final promise that God made in Haggai 2.9 when he said, And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. At one time, the people went to the temple to make peace offerings to God. But now, right now, today, God offers every one of us the greater temple, Jesus Christ, who is our peace. Jesus Christ, the greater temple, whose body was torn down and rebuilt again so that we, the rebellious enemies, could graciously be given peace by the commander of heaven's armies through faith in Jesus Christ. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. So forsake your sin and put your faith in him and you will have peace with God for eternity. But the promise is not over yet. The best is still yet to come. Our glory days as the church are not in our past. They're in our future Because right now, Jesus is using us, the church, to build a glorious new temple of living stones from every tribe and tongue and nation. So don't give up. The best is yet to come. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep making disciples. Keep serving at VBS. Keep sacrificially giving. Keep fervently praying. Keep going on mission trips. Keep sending missionaries. Because Even though there's so much work left to be done, so many billions who still never heard of Christ, so many thousands of people groups that still need to be reached, so many lost people still around us here in Richmond, we should not be discouraged and we cannot give up because the best is yet to come. Because one day, one day, In the new heavens and new earth, we will see no temple. As John tells us in Revelation 21, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Listen to this. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations because the greatest treasures of the nations are not made of silver and gold. They're made of flesh and blood. They're people with immortal souls. And through the proclamation of his gospel, with all the power of heaven's armies, King Jesus is bringing these treasures into his new temple, into the church right now to be united by faith to him in the new heavens and new earth for eternity. 
And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining in glory as the sun, no one, and I mean no one, will look back on these days we're living in now as our glory days. Our glory days are not in our teens or in our 20s. Our glory days will be in our hundreds and thousands and millions. Because our glory days are not in our past. They're in our future. So if you're looking for glory, don't go to the Lake Reba softball fields looking for it. You're not going to find it there. If you're looking for glory, then look at Jesus Christ, the glorious greater temple who was torn down on the cross for your sins, raised to new life, rebuilt on the third day for your salvation by faith in him. If you're looking for glory, look around at the church, at the glorious temple that God is building with living stones from every tribe and tongue and nation. Our glory days are not in our past. Our glory days are in our future. When we gather together with the church from all nations in the presence of King Jesus, and we behold his glory and praise him for his glory with fullness of joy for all eternity. So don't give up on the Great Commission, Ashland Church, because the best is yet to come.